You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Tim Brooks. We'll turn to Ephesians chapter 3. No doubt, there's no doubt that we are in a very difficult time right now. Uh, This health crisis is not in itself the difficult time. It's that doctors having totally opposite views on our health. That makes it difficult for us. When doctors are in total opposition to to how to treat it, what they tell us, that's hard for me. They're, they're opposite sides on the virus, on the mask, whether they work or not, or on the shot, or on the treatments. One doctor treats this way, one doctor treats totally opposite. That's difficult for us who just rely on the doctor. I don't know. I, I'm not a medical guy. You tell me what I need to know. Well, that makes it hard whenever I'm having all of this opposite information coming to me. That's difficult. That's difficult to navigate through. We're in a difficult time economically right now. In the last year, gas prices have doubled, lumber prices have tripled, and that affects all of us. That makes it a difficult time for us to live in. This border crisis is a crisis. Uh, All of us, unless you are a natural-born Indian, all of us immigrated here, but we did it legally. We came in and did it through the right channels, and what we've got going on now, that's, that's a crisis that we're dealing with, a law enforcement crisis. If you feel mistreated in any way, then it's okay for you to loot or to set fire to a building or turn over a police car. See, that's the difficult time in history for us to deal with. I want to make sure that you know that for 4,000 years, ever since Isaac and Ishmael were born, there's been struggle in the Middle East. Ishmael's descendants have been beheading Isaac's descendants for 4,000 years. What's different now is we've got 24-7 color coverage of that. But that's been going, what's, oh, I can't believe what's happening. Well, you ought to read the Bible. That's been going on for thousands of years. So that's nothing new, but it's a difficult time because we're inundated with it. I want to talk to all of you in here who are 30 years old and under. You're going to be shocked to know this is not the first difficult time in our history. It just is in your history. We've been pretty smooth here for 25 or 30 years. And so, oh my gosh, this is not the first difficult time in history. When I was in grade school, we lived under a constant threat of World War III. I remember third and fourth grade bomb drills. A a siren would go off. We would dive under our desk. Many of you are shaking your head. You were in that era of constant fear of the bomb being dropped on us. It's hard for a little kid to sleep with. We grew up uh, with that. That was scary. I had a seventh grade history teacher who lived in Pearl Harbor. Her husband was killed on that day, and she was my history teacher. You don't think she filled us full of daily fear. You're wrong. Every day, they're going to retaliate. You know this right now. They're going to retaliate. And she would relive that day and where she was and how she got up. And you're in the seventh grade sitting here. America has been in difficult times before for our children, for our adults. Well, this is not new to us. And I want you to know, 
we just lived in my era a constant fear of World War III. But the generation before me lived in World War II. You talk about a difficult time in America's history, a difficult time. Was that not difficult? The generation before them lived in World War I, a difficult time in America history. I'm just telling all of those who are 30 and under, this is not the first difficult time America has navigated through and come out on the backside of a difficult time. America is well-versed in this. If you think World War I was a difficult time, the generation before them dealt with the slavery and the Civil War issue. In the late 1800s, at its height, just know this, America only had 2% of the slave trade. Worldwide, slavery was worldwide. Every nation had slaves. America in this bad place, we only had 2% of all the slaves in the world were in America. And by the way, America is the only nation in the history of the world that ever fought among itself to free the slaves. Wait, this is an atrocity. This can't go on. And we had non-slave owners in our country fighting slave owners to free the slaves. America has more racial rights and freedoms than many other nations in the world. America definitely has more women freedoms and rights than other nations in the world. America is an unbelievably wonderful country, and that's why we jump to our feet, put our hand over our heart, and we honor our flag and honor America. This is the greatest country in the world for what it's done for all races of people. But it was a very difficult time in the 1800s. You're talking about a difficult time to navigate through. In the midst of a difficult time, and we are in one now, trying to navigate our life, our family's life through this extreme liberal socialist agenda, This COVID, who unlike any other virus in the world, has become a who knows what's going on and who is behind what and who's pushing what and what's the agenda here. Well, it's a difficult time. We're in a huge financial cost to all of us to force America to go green like America is going to change our emissions and change the entire atmosphere when no other country in the world is doing anything about their emissions. But to think we're going to do something about emissions here in America, it's costing Americans a fortune, and that's a difficult time for us to navigate. In the midst of all this, have you found Ephesians 3.20? Y'all are getting slower and slower to find Bible verses, so I'm dragging out your time longer and longer and longer. Ephesians 3.20. Now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Infinitely more. Exceedingly, abundantly, above. I want our church to read that verse every day this week to yourself. I want you to keep that verse handy and read it every day. When I read this verse not long ago, I began to study and dig for an exception clause to that verse. 
an an exception clause or a hard times statement. And I've not found one. God, through his mighty power, is at work in us, in me, in you. There's a work going on in me to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And there is no age clause. There is no tough times clause. There is no yeah, but clause. No age clause. Tim, the window of opportunity for him to work in you is over. You're too old. The sun's setting on him working in you. There's no clause that says that. You know, there's no education exemption. You're not educated enough for God to work exceedingly abundantly more. There's no education clause in here. See, you should have gone to college and gotten your master's degree if you wanted exceedingly abundantly infinitely more. But without a master's degree, verse 20 is not for you. I've looked, I've studied. Let me tell you something else. There's no blown it clause. I'm sure some of you aren't happy because you've never made a mistake. But for those of us who have blown it, there is no blown it clause. Yeah, but you've blown it too bad, exceedingly abundantly above. That doesn't pertain to you because what you did and the way you handled and you've really blown. There's no blown it clause in here. There is no virus exemption to Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Well, God is for sure not working in you right now. And I know that because God is in his house with a mask on. He's not risking getting out right now. You know, God is under the six-foot mandate, and so I know he's not working within you right now. He's keeping a six-foot mandate distance from you right now. Come on, church. Read it with me. Now, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And there is no ifs, ands, buts about that. You got to know God understands we're in hard times and it has not negated his word where you and I are concerned. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have life more abundant. And there is no virus clause on that. There is no mandate clause on that. That's not for just these that have done this or this that have done that. There's no age clause. There's no hard time clause. Well, what in the world do I do? Tim, just tell me. Sign me up. I am all in for exceedingly and abundantly above and more. You talking about a rich and a satisfying life, sign me up. But what do I do? I'm glad you asked that question because the title of today's message is, what do I do? What do I do? Where we are right now, what do I do? In the midst of a very difficult time, what do I do for this passage to have its effect in my life. I clearly, I see the word. God wants to bless me. God wants me to walk in a good life. God wants me to walk in a rich and a satisfying life. Let me just footnote here. Know that a rich and satisfying life doesn't have anything to do with the amount of money you have. We all know lots of bazillionaires that are very miserable in life. So it's not the amount of money you have. God has a rich and a satisfying life for you. Well, the scripture gives us 
two steps for that. There are two. There are two, and there are very clearly two steps that the Bible lays out for us. Step number one. John chapter 3, a religious guy comes to uh, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus and said, what do I do? What do I do to have what you're talking about? What do I do? And Jesus told him, you got to be born again. You can't even see what we're talking about. You can't understand. You can't grasp this until there is a spiritual rebirth in your life. Romans tells us you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart, and you will be saved. The first step to the life that God has for you is accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's step one. That's the first step is to ask Jesus into your heart. Right now, I want everybody in here to bow your head and close your eyes. Everybody, just bow your head and close your eyes. You may have been in church for years. You may have been in church for years, but you have never asked Jesus into your heart. You've never asked Jesus to come into your heart. Right now, I want you to pray with me. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I confess my sins to you. Lord, I have blown it. I've messed up. I've made mistakes. I confess my sins to you. I've been my own God. I've made decisions, my own self, that I shouldn't have. And Lord, I come to you and I ask you right now to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Lord, forgive me of what I've done wrong. Forgive me of my sins. And now, Lord, I ask you to come in to my heart. Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, come in. I accept you. And from this point forward, from this day forward, I receive you as Lord and Savior of my life. I accept you, Jesus. I accept you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Right now, there's someone here that just accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Most all of the church knows this is the first step. Most all of us are aware you've got to accept Jesus. And some in here may have done that for the very first time. But the problem is, that's only the first step. There is a clear second step. Jesus loves you. He died for you. You accept him, but too often the church leaves people right there with their sin nature still in full control. Now, I just took time in this service to lead you to the Lord, but I want you to notice something today. I didn't end this service with that. Now, I'm not sure how we ever got in the habit of ending our services with an altar call. We come forward, I lead you to the Lord, and then I dismiss church, and you walk out the door with your sin nature still in full control, and all hell breaks loose in your life. It's no wonder why some churches have to preach a salvation message every single Sunday and get people saved every week. Because no one told them, okay, what do I do now? What do I do now? Now what do I do? Well, step one, you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But there is a step two. There is a step two. What's sad is we've left people in step one, and so you get, I tried the Jesus thing, and it didn't work for me. I grew up in church, but it never worked for me. Well, I was raised in church, and I just didn't ever work for me. I never saw my prayers answered. I never saw any benefit to it. I may be going to heaven right when I die, but here and now, it's just not working for me. Why? It's because we left people at step one 
they still got the question, what do I do? You're saved. You've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you've let your sin nature still be in control of your life. There is a step two. Luke chapter five. I want you to read with me. Let's talk about step two. Now that I'm saved, now that I have asked Jesus into my heart, now what do I do? All right, here's a story. Luke chapter five, verse one. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen and left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into the one boat, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus said, Oh, Lord, leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. Professional men fished for a living. They knew their trade. They'd been fishing since they were young boys. They could do this in their sleep. So when Jesus tells the fishermen how, when, and where to catch fish, Peter has to set Jesus straight. Now, with respect, he didn't say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. He didn't say, Jesus, you're an idiot. With respect... Master. See, Peter needed to explain to Jesus something about fishing. This happens about every day, doesn't it? Don't you find yourself explaining to God some things he's maybe not be aware of? Come on. Well, yeah, yeah, God, but God, you need to, you don't know what she said to me. God, let me tell you why your word won't work in my situation. See, we feel the need to explain to God why his word won't, why his direction, why his will won't work for you, doesn't apply to you, is not relevant to your, see, let me, let me, let me explain something to you, Jesus. Nets are for night fishing. That's why we fish all night. You don't throw your net out in the day. That never will ever, never has worked. That doesn't work. See, out in the deep, you don't throw your nets out in the deep. See, there are just a lot of things Jesus doesn't know. And he needs you to explain your personal experience to him. He needs you to explain your reasoning to him. He needs you to fill him in on some things about life that he doesn't know. The point of the sermon today is, We are wanting to rely on personal experience and not on God's word in our world today. God's word is the direction for your life, regardless of your personal experience, regardless of your friend's personal experience, regardless of this culture and what it's telling you, God's word is what you rely on for your life. And here we are in this situation being played out daily in verse four and five in our life. 
a word from God, but yes, Lord, we already tried that. It didn't work. I already did that. It won't do. See, nets are for shallow fishing, not deeper fishing. Our culture today has now learned. See, it's been my experience. See, today we're relying on our experience and not on what God told us to do. I want you to get this. For us in our life to experience the exceedingly abundantly more. For you to experience that, for that to be a part of your daily life, for you to obtain the immeasurably more that God is able to do in your life, you'll have to be open for God's leading in your life. You'll have to be open for God's voice in your life. And you got to always know his thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are higher than his ways. And Jesus may call you to do some things that may not be in line with your personal experience right now. Now, I want you to watch this unfold. I want to go over it again. Peter felt that his history, that his background, Peter felt that his knowledge had given him plenty of information and he could with all confidence tell Jesus that won't work. I can tell you right now, God, that won't work. I can tell you that with all confidence. But here is the key to Christian life. Once you've accepted Jesus as your Lord, once you've made that first step, chapter 5, verse 5, but I will do as you say. But I will do as you say, and I will let these nets down. You got to see this. Look at this next sentence. When they had done this. Look at verse 5. When they had done this. See, when they were obedient to Jesus, when they did what he said, when they did what he said, when they were obedient to Jesus, when they had done this. Come on, they didn't pray about it. They didn't discuss it. They didn't get on Facebook with their friends. And what do you think? And what do you think? Now, I think it's stupid to go out in the deep in the day and let down this. What's your opinion? What? They didn't get on Facebook and get everybody's opinion on Twitter. They didn't get over here and get everybody's opinion. What did they do? When they had done what he said, they couldn't ha- See, they experienced it exceedingly and abundantly more when they did what he said. The Christian life is about what you do. It's not about what you think. The Christian life is not about what you think in theory. It's not about your past. It's not about your experiences. It's not about your personal knowledge. It's not about it telling me that won't work, but it is doing exactly what the Lord says. The key to living the Christian life is after you've accepted Jesus is you walk out these doors and you walk in obedience to God in your life. For Peter to be blessed, for Peter to walk in exceedingly abundantly more than they could even haul over the side of that boat, He could not get on Twitter and see what his friend's opinion was that said, well, Peter, you're right. Peter, I agree with you. No, for Peter to walk in exceedingly, abundantly more, he had to be obedient to what Jesus said. Now, here's what I want you to see in this story. Jesus is in your boat. Now, you need to do what he says. Church, Jesus is in your boat. Jesus is in your boat. Now 
you need to do what he says. Now, do what he's telling you to do. I don't care what all your fishing buddies say. I don't care what all your fishing buddies have to say about this. What did Jesus say for you to do? Yes, you're saved. And yes, you're talking with Jesus. But if you want the life that he has for you, you'll have to do what he says. The question, what do I do to experience a rich and satisfying life? The answer is, do what he says. Do what he says. There is a step two. The obedience factor that modern Christianity is leaving out. I don't know how we've missed 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but does not obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. Verse 5, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. I know God. I know God. First John says, you're a liar if you say, I know God, but you're not living in obedience to him. James, John, and Peter, Luke chapter 5, verse 3, they allowed Jesus into their boat. They sat under his teachings. That was a great step. But when did they experience exceedingly abundantly above and more and beyond? It's only when they did exactly what he said to do. Church today, you may have been praying and praying and praying, and you're just not seeing an answer to your prayer. You're not experiencing the God kind of life. Maybe you're not experiencing the joy, the blessings, the peace. You're not experiencing exceedingly abundantly and above. Your life is not experiencing that. I want you to know there's a step two to this thing, and it's called you walking in obedience to him. Isaiah 55 verse 8, here's what you need to know. God operates on an entire higher thought pattern than we do. His thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are higher than your ways. Live your life knowing that God can do immeasurably, exceedingly, abundantly more for you. Live your life knowing God is working in you. God is working in you to produce exceedingly, abundantly, and more. What do I do? I'm thrilled you're saved. Now let's go live our life obedient to him. Y'all stand with me. Lord, today we thank you for dying on the cross and paying a penalty for us that we could not pay, that we owed. Thank you for our salvation. Lord, we thank you for saving us. And now, Lord, today, to show that we know you, to show that we've accepted you as our Lord and Savior, We walk out of here living obedient to what you tell us to do. Lord, there are times when it's hard. It's hard to go against our experience. It's hard to go against our knowledge. It's hard to go against what we think. But Lord, today, we put our hand in your hand and we walk obedient to what you tell us to do. Direct and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.